Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition of Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism, the Gilmore Girls podcast. So I'm Jeffrey. I'm Eleni. And today we are joined once again by our wonderful friend, uh, insider journalist to the stars, Samantha Gandell. Hello, thanks for having me. Thank you so much. We're for so coming. happy to have you back. <laughs> I'm so excited. This is my favorite. So today we are going to be doing a season four recap of the glorious mess that was season four, I guess. It's it's my personal favorite season. Eleni uh, also enjoys season four, but not it's not your personal favorite though, right? Um, it's not my favorite for sure, but I can definitely say that having done the podcast and analyzing the episodes for the purposes of the podcast, uh, the writing is on point. A lot of storylines were great. Um, I think it's up there. It's getting there. What about you, Sam? <laughs> I feel like it's a really good tone setter for like the second half of the series. Um, Probably my personal favorite is three because I am a diehard Jess girl personally. Um, <laughs> but I think I think it's a really great way to transition the show into like Rory's adult life, which I know y'all talked about a little bit last week. So I think we're all similar page. Yeah, no, it's a great point about her adult life because it is the first time she's away from Lorelai. And a big theme of season four was well, when we talked about it at the beginning was how are we going to keep that Lorelai, Rory, mother-daughter magic with them being so far away from each other? Um, First of all, we will send her to Yale so it is feasibly <laughs> possible that they will be close. Exactly. Instead of uh, Boston, which they pretend is right next to each other, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cambridge, I should say. Um <laughs> We wanted to talk about a couple of things. Uh, last time we had you on was in the context of your article that you wrote, which is a great article. Uh, we will link to it again. <laughs> we wanted to have you on to discuss, um, of course, piggybacking off that topic because you wrote about it so beautifully, but all kinds of different things, including Lane and Paris and what you thought as a diehard fan of Luke and Lorelai finally getting together and the way they got together and anything else you want to discuss. So, um, Jeffrey, you want to take it away? Uh, yes, I mean, the basis of our request to ask you back on the podcast was about Lane and her character development throughout this season, because uh, on your last podcast appearance, we talked a bit about Lane, but didn't get and didn't have enough time to get fully into uh, her. And anyway, season four was the bigger season for her. And last time we were in season three. So, um, we personally have very strong feelings about the, I don't know, the showdown between Lane and Mrs. Kim in season four. So I guess uh, to start, what are your thoughts and feelings about Lane's journey in season four? Lane season four could have set her up for like really amazing character arc for the rest of the show, but the writers really did her dirty is how I feel. Um, I think it was inevitable she and Mrs. Kim were going to have some sort of showdown. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on like exactly what you liked or didn't like about it. But I, the biggest thing I noticed is I, I rewatched season four in anticipation of this is that like in season four, Lane is forced to grow in ways Rory is not. So Lane actually has to become an adult if she wants to live the life she's going to live. She has to 
finally stopped lying to her mom. She, her mom makes her move out. She couch surfaced for a while, but even that is like, okay, I can't live with Rory forever, which is Paris's fault because Paris is being petty, but um, (laughs) you know, she, she moves in with the band, she gets a job, she's supporting herself. And like, we really get to see Lane start to live a life she's always dreamed of living, even though it is like full of this pain that she's let down her mom and doesn't get to see her mom anymore because she loves her mom, despite it all. Um, And then meanwhile, Rory is still coming home all the time. She ends up back with Dean, which to me is a really weird character choice because she outgrown him so much. And then even like in small things, she's just still being such a child. Like in the episode where it's early in the season, Rory, I guess, is having trouble finding a good study spot. Do you guys remember that one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. the tree. We, <laughs> we talked at length yeah. about Rory and the study tree. Yeah. And like, rather than growing up, she ends up paying the guy 20 bucks. So like, you just see this recurring theme of Rory refusing to grow, whereas Lane kind of has to. Um, and I, I loved watching it and loved seeing that person Lane is becoming. And then they kind of sell her short in seasons five and six is my, that's my overarching take, I guess. Yeah. We talked a lot about um, the concept of conditional love with Lane in terms mm. of her mom, you know, being so rigid and in, in, in her conservative values and not being willing to pretty much accept her daughter and see her daughter for who she really was. Um, and Eleni has much clearer thoughts on conditional love than I do. So I will let her explain that. Yes, tell me. Yeah, I was just, um, you know, the more I thought about it, it was just such a big theme throughout the show. We saw it last year with Luke saying, well, if you can't go to school, telling Jess, if you can't go to school, you can't live here like get out, you know? Mm. So that to me was very conditional. Mrs. Kim saying, I can't accept you for who you are, leave, <laughs> very conditional. So it's the, and there's other instances again in seasons going forward, but um, I had a lot of strong opinions about Mrs. Kim and the way she chose to, um, in her mind, I guess, deal with a problem. Like her child was a problem that needed to be dealt with. And like mm-hmm. a lot of characters in the show, instead of communicating, kind of was like, well, you got to get out, you know? Um, and it was such a, I agree with you completely. It was, the writers did Lane dirty because it could have been something so great. Like you said, she was forced to grow up, fend for herself. Um, and she came out of it still great being the Lane that we love, but you know, uh, <laughs> it went downhill. Um, I had a lot of problems with Mrs. Kim this season. Um, and one of them being mm-hmm. when she goes up, when she goes, she reaches out to Lane and makes an effort to go and look at the apartment, right? Do you remember that scene? Yeah. And um, she says, you know, she's going to make an effort. She brought her oatmeal pudding. I don't know what she brought. <laughs> and then <laughs> she sees uh, Zach and Brian and she freaks out and she goes running to Lorelai and she says, you know, there were boys there. And Lorelai tells her, well, you know why there are boys there? And she says, she's dirty. And I lost my mind. (laughs) I was like, that's your child that you fucking, sorry. (laughs) That you, (laughs) Jesus, that you kind of like nudged into the adult world and had to like, you don't then get to judge the way she lives her life. Um after you forced her 
out, you know? So yeah. And then I kept thinking about this concept of thinking that women are dirty. That word just was so triggering for me um, mm-hmm. because she has two male roommates, you know? And Mrs. Kim saying, I've never stood in a room with two men, you know, <laughs> alone. And it's just, it was such a warped perception that she had of her child when your child has spent 19 years being nothing but the best and never disrespecting you. And it was just, I felt, I felt for Lane. I really did. I felt for Mrs. Kim, but I was like, you're the adult. You, you know. For sure. And it's, I also just think that's a little reductive of Mrs. Kim, because like, I know theoretically, not your take, the writing of it. I, theoretically Lane's dad is around. But we never see him. Mrs. Kim clearly runs that business by herself. So of course she's been alone in a room with two men. Like, of course she has. And like, that just isn't accurate to the character we've seen, especially like, I just, I think of Mrs. Kim as very formidable and I don't think men would intimidate her in that way. Like, obviously she is very chaste and wants Lane to be chaste and boys were a huge issue in their relationship. But even with like, when Lane did, dated Henry Cho, like, I think that was his name. Mrs. Kim was, like, excited about that once she found out about it. It's just, it was never that she didn't want Lane to have a boyfriend, is what it seemed like to me. It was that she wanted a very specific type of boyfriend for Lane. Um, so I, I just found that a bit surprising that that was her reaction. Um, especially since she'd, like, done a lot of work to like Dave and he had was gonna send him the jug and like just really liked him and so it it was just surprising to me and I feel like it was more of a writer play for comedy rather than being true to that character which I think is disappointing because Lane and Mrs. Kim are really interesting characters and their mother-daughter dynamic should be able to exist on its own not just like as a comparison to Rory and Lorelai and I feel like they don't really give us that chance it's just like Lorelai is the chill cool mom who is the place where Lane can go when her mom isn't being nice to her. And it's never, it's never the reverse. Like we would never think of Rory as going to Mrs. Kim if she felt scared or something like that, even though she totally could have. Mrs. Kim would have been nice to her. hundred <laughs> percent. Mrs. Kim would have said, uh, okay, get over it now and leave me alone. <laughs> it's a- yeah, no. And they have like that mom code. Like where Lorelai always is going to call Mrs. Kim if Lane does something. And I don't know, just it's reductive, I think, to think Mrs. Kim would react that way. Definitely. I'm glad you brought up Dave Rogowski, though, because I'd actually wanted to ask Eleni about this last week or in previous episodes and forgot about it um, because we had talked a lot about in season three how they spent the writer spent so much time developing uh, Lane's storyline with Dave and then obviously the actor got cast on the OC at the time and Dave just disappeared and they kind of like peppered Dave references in the first few episodes of season four and then just he was never mentioned again. Um, Personally I was not a huge fan of Dave just because having already seen the show a thousand times like I knew he disappeared and like all that time spent developing the character was pretty much for nothing. So do you have like any strong feelings on Dave Rogowski? Ah, uh, Eleni, he wanted to ask you first, you go first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like the fact that Lane finally found somebody 
um, that was into all the same things that she was into and like didn't come from her world. It wasn't somebody that Mrs. Kim set up for her, you know? And I kind of liked that he understood her and understood her situation and why she couldn't be more upfront with her mother. Even though I think she sh should and could have been a little bit earlier, you know? But I like the fact that it it was, I like the fact that we were giving Lane something, you know? She yeah. was always cast as, well, she was cast as the best friend and it was always as an aside and for giggles that she's hiding CDs and books and what. I like the fact that we got to see her grow like a normal teenager um, in small town America would, you know? Um, I think he brought out a really, a lot of really good qualities in her. I think he forced her to be a little bit more open with her mother and maybe, you know, get the chance to say, hey, your mom's not that strict, right? She did let you go to the prom with Dave. Um, you know, she let him in to the house on Thanksgiving and he ate tofurkey, you know what I mean? So I, 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 I liked him. It sucks that he had to leave so abruptly um but I did love the OC so <laughs> I mean no loss for me <laughs> but I I liked to I liked seeing Lane in a main character role rather than constantly being the best friend again you know yeah I agree and I also I think Dave just made a lot of sense for her and I know you guys probably know this but that Dave Murgowski is who um Amy Sherman Palladino's best friend ended up with in real life and so like that's that. and lane is based, <laughs> yeah lane is lane so lane's based on her best friend helen and then pie. in real life yeah helen pie is with dave rogalski like that's truly her husband okay. um so makes a lot of sense to me that dave is such a good fit for her and i i don't think they intended for him to be written off I, my guess would be if the oc hadn't happened which we don't want because we love the oc love it. he probably would have continued to play a larger role I, I hope that there's an alternate universe where that exists um so I, I think Dave made a lot of sense and I totally agree that it gave Lane a kind of like dignity and that she got to have like her kind of main character moment with him and I think a lot about like the dance marathon episode and the role he played in that and stuff um but I totally get where you're coming from Jeffrey that it's kind of frustrating to watch it now because it's like why are we doing all of this if she's going to end up with Zach yeah. Um, yeah. And he uh, actually asked me like, what was my, like, what was my take on a lot of things having watched the show for the first time in the era of streaming, even though I'd watched it on DVD. Cause I just, I'm, I'm obsessed with DVDs. I'll buy them before I ever stream anything. Um, but she'd asked me like in, you know, the 2010s Netflix era of Netflix, like our Netflix era of Gilmore girls, what was like, what was my take on a lot of different things. And for me, having already had a bit of a sense of the show on social media before watching it for the first time, I guess, like I knew that Dave wasn't a long-term character. So I guess I had already like been a, had a little bias going into it of like, he's not around full time. I know that actor was on the OC later, so there's no sense investing, but maybe, maybe my perspective would have been different if like Eleni had watched the show when it was originally aired. And so she has a different perspective than I do on a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. That totally makes sense. The bias would be there. Yeah, I think that's the, another really big theme that we got into this season was what net, what network television and streaming services have and don't have in common. So, you know, the reality of network television was you could be canceled at any minute, right? You're going episode by episode and you're waiting for those ratings every week and, you know, 
TV execs are looking at them and analyzing and seeing if you have a hit on your hands, right? And it it just happened to be that Dave, you know, signed the contract elsewhere. They would have loved to have him back kind of thing. Um, we said the same thing for Trisha O'Kelly, who played Nicole, which was Luke's mm. wife, but not really. Well, legally his wife, but not really. Um, you know, because this season we saw a lot of their storyline happen behind the scenes. And we kind of expressed how frustrating that was as a viewer because we're only getting her in snippets and the rest we're hearing from Luke. And it also kind of made us seem like, well, what's the point of this storyline if we're not really seeing it, you know? So I wanted to ask you, what were your thoughts on Luke's, um, the majority of his story this season and being married and then getting divorced and being in a good slash bad place? Like what was your whole Nicole reaction? I feel like they were just delaying it with Lorelai until she was ready. So they were like, hmm, how can we keep Luke busy? Um, which could they have probably done it in a more clever way? Yes. Um, but I, I don't mind that they made us wait a little longer. One, because I think it works better for the show just like time-wise. But two, I I really enjoy Jason. Not, not necessarily like, I, like I don't wish... Lorelai was with him but I think he's a really interesting character and is important for us to see um so I think it makes sense that they delay Luke and Lorelai a little more but it was really nice to see him doing that personal work like he listened to that book on tape and really like reflected on why he hasn't been able to make relationships work um and they also I think it was smart to have it not happen right after Rory goes to college, like make it at the end of her year. So Luke and Lorelai kind of have this school year, if you will, to see how their friendship changes when Lorelai doesn't have to go home to her kid every night. And, you know, they they have a movie night for the first time. He's of course there when Rory's moving into college and their, their friendship just takes on this like different kind of intimacy. And I think it's important for Lorelai to have that friend intimacy with him before things become romantic um but it is I think indicative of how their relationship goes that he's done all this work to get ready for it but she hasn't not that Luke doesn't make mistakes throughout their relationship particularly after they get back together but I think he is more ready for something serious than she is even though she really cares for him when it starts it's just he's like really gotten there mentally Going back to what you said about Jason Styles, I do have to tell you that you are in the minority with us of fans who actually like Jason Styles. because on our Instagram page, we've done multiple polls, uh, had multiple posts asking people like their thoughts on Jason Styles, and the fandom hates him for no good reason, really. I think it's only because he was the last kind of hurdle between him uh, between uh, Lorelai and Luke in the in like the early stages. Um, so please do tell us why you why you like Jason and why the fans are wrong. <laughs> um, no disrespect to the fans, but my take is that <laughs> <laughs> my take is that Jason is who Lorelai would have been with if Rory never happened. Like I don't think mm-hmm. let let's say. Lorelai never got pregnant. She goes off to college. I don't think it's realistic that she would totally cut ties with her parents. She wouldn't see them much, but she would be there for holidays and stuff. She'd probably live in New York. She wouldn't live 
like in Connecticut with them, but she'd be nearby. And she would have gone to a Harvard or a Yale. And because Richard talks about how smart she was when she was younger. And she is smart. We know that as an adult, she runs a business. So I think she still would have been in this world and she would have fit into it well, but she would have been with someone who would make fun of it from within with her is what I think would have happened. Christopher would have been too far out of it and she would have outgrown him as she did in the series we got. But I think Jason or someone like him would have been an ideal choice for her because she would have gone to that society stuff, but she would have made fun of it. And their kids might not have been raised part of it, but she would like the lifestyle of it. And that's what she has with Jason. She likes his fancy apartment. She likes the cool stuff they do together. He can keep up. He gets the jokes. They have the same feelings towards their parents where they love them, but it's complicated. Jason's probably doesn't love his as much as Laura loves her parents. But I think there's something very familiar to him that it's like a, a life Lorelai could have had to me. I love that. I I mean, I can't speak for Lenny, but I, I've never thought of it that way. But I think you, you're 100% right that she probably would have ended up with some kind of Jason Styles type man if Rory and the teen pregnancy hadn't have happened. So it's a very interesting take. I like that. Yeah, no, it's, I, I never thought of it as the life she would have had if she hadn't had Rory. I, whenever we discussed Jason and we talked about how she was so reluctant to jump into this relationship with him or even go out with him was because, you know, he was still part of that world and she was trying to escape that world. And we said like, you know, if you like him, what's wrong with him being part of that world. You know what I mean? Like, what? It was just Lorelai being dumb, you know? Like, you like him, it's fine. And we we, we, we even said, I said we 14 times. We even said, um, you know, he was very quick. He could keep up with her. The banter was always there. And they had this past where, you know, they went to camp together and they knew each other and they're in the same circle. So absolutely, I think like, he was such a good match for her um, not only banter wise, but, you know, same kind of circumstances surrounding their parents and being part of this world, but not really wanting to. And like you said, making fun of it. But, um, the actor even said that he, while he was on the show, he used to, you know, like walk downtown LA and like young girls would scowl at him because he was in the way (laughs) of Lorelai and Luke getting together. But I really think that, that has some truth to it. A lot of people just hold on to that because, you know, Luke and Laura, I could have gotten together faster if it wasn't for Jason, you know, but we got some ridiculous reasons yeah. for hunting Jason uh, in the picture. We got his he's too short. His, he's too short. His suits don't fit him. Um, <laughs> which was very funny. Um, we got one girl that was really adamant about the fact that, she couldn't forgive him for not going to Grand's funeral. And because it showed how emotionally immature he was. And I was like, well, Lorelai's emotionally immature too. So they kind of match there, you know? But um, yeah, we're definitely in the minority on this one, but everyone else is wrong. <laughs> I mean, and like in this world that we're in, I don't think he's the right person for Lorelai. And I think the biggest thing that would have come between them, aside from, you know, him suing her family, yeah. is he would not fit in her star's hollow world. Like we, uh, we see that play out later with Christopher, but Jason could never. And Lorelai is so attached to that world. And I, I think it's important that we get that in season four because it's kind of a lead into the fact that Lorelai. Lorelai is 
going to be with someone who is part of that world or can get down with the smaller town um okay Luke and then Rory tries that again with Dean and it is not right for her she quickly realizes wait I'm not supposed to be in this small place anymore I can't stay in Stars Hollow forever whereas Lorelai can and I think Jason just reinforces that message that there is this sleek other world she could be part of but it's ultimately not what she wants yeah very well said (laughs) I wanted to ask you about um we got a couple comments about a scene in particular where Lorelai has to go bail Luke out of jail. Mm. And uh, <laughs> your face says it all. But, um, you know, in that episode, we find out that Luke is being cheated on. And once again, the, Nicole is nowhere to be found. We're just, you know, Luke is being cheated on. And um, a lot of people said that it was a really poignant scene in terms of Lorelai and Luke's relationship so it's always Mm -hmm. Luke being there for Lorelai and now Lorelai was there for Luke kind of and it was the first time he realized that this marriage wasn't for him and you know next episode he goes and gets the divorce and whatever do you think that so a lot of people said that it was the first steps towards him saying like enough is enough I'm gonna go after Lorelai now because Clearly, I tried to do work on this relationship with Nicole. It's not working. You know, um, do you think that was like kind of the beginning of his wanting to better himself uh, to get ready for Lorelai? Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a very clear example. I think that there's probably hints of it before in season four, like especially with I don't, I mean, I guess maybe, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm processing. No, it's fine. <laughs> I, I think in, in some ways, but I feel like more the Kickstarter is kind of like Jess coming back. Like he, that really, and, and Liz, like they, his family is around and they are making him like, look at who he is. And even the fact that Liz immediately thinks Lorelai is the wife and is like, oh, you're who Luke would be married to. And she's like, no, I think stuff like that is probably swimming around in his head as well. Um, And seeing that even Liz can settle down and find someone who's right for her. But that is clearly one of the first times he lets Lorelai take care of him. But even before that in season four, when Jess comes back, he has that moment where he gets drunk and then he's fixing her window drunk and cuts his hand. Like I think we see throughout season four, Lorelai is allowed to take care of Luke for the first time. And also proves that she'll show up like she's not gonna abandon him like she has in the past like when she was gonna paint and bailed on him to be with Christopher and stuff like that so I I think it's a slow burn of he gets to trust her more throughout the season but that that's probably the most dramatic instance of it I guess I would say Makes sense. Since you brought up uh, Jess and Liz, that's another thing we definitely wanted to discuss with you. Um, as I am very much on Team Jess, as you remember, we probably recall from last time. Um, of course. And any uh, thirsty uh, Instagram posts you see about Jess, that's that's all. That's all me. Um, <laughs> so we wanted to ask you first, like your thoughts on Jess's return, based on how he left so ambiguously. at the end of season three and then we also have a lot of strong opinions on Liz as a parent and a person and how the writers kind of introduced her only after the fact of all of Jess's kind of trauma. 
I think we're, we have to remember we're living in a world where they thought Jess was getting his spinoff and he didn't. So I don't yes. think Jess would have left town the same way if the spinoff wasn't going to happen. Um, I think he maybe would have run away to New York not to go be with his dad. So he and Liz might have been kept in the loop in a different way. Um, but in the world we're in, where Jess does come back, I think it makes sense that Jess doesn't come back until Liz comes because it's part of like a larger web of Luke's family. Um, but I I was just always surprised by how like hands-off Rory was about it. And I know she was frustrated by the end of their relationship, but she loved him and they really just like cold turkeyed her feelings for him kind of. And obviously she was like perplexed when he told her he loved her and then ran away or whatever. And that was like a moment, but she was just so over it that I was a bit surprised especially when like Dean is getting married and then she's very like upset about that or like you know we see her like moodily watching Dean get married I would have expected more emotion from her um on it I guess but I I do think it makes sense in terms of Luke when Jess came back yeah do you think Rory was suppressing her feelings towards Jess and like the way that he, the way, like she kind of had to make her own peace with it, right? Because he left so abruptly without saying goodbye or anything. Sure. And then he kind of just shows up again unannounced and then drops like that I love you bomb and runs away. So you think like she kind of had to, I don't know, suppress and also just make her own peace, whatever, like probably an, an unhealthy peace based on how she reacts, like her own peace with how her that relationship ended because like the other person was more or less unstable and unreliable. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And I think also y'all talked about this last week that Rory is really craving control throughout season four. Like in college is a big time where she doesn't have that and like her whole life has changed. And before she went to college, Jess was this the biggest out of control thing in her life in a way she liked. But I think in this new phase she's in, that doesn't work for her. She wants something reliable, which is why Dean is so appealing, even though the opposite of reliable when <laughs> it finally happens um but i i think jess just isn't quite right for her in the same way that he was just because of the phase of life she's in um but she, i'm sure she's repressing some of it and i do i do think like heading off to europe with your mom and going away to college and meeting new people is a great way to get over someone so that definitely played a role yes i agree um eleni any thoughts on Jess's return. Yeah, I agree that I agree with Sam that it was a little bit weird that he comes, he says, I love you. The next episode we pick up, like nothing happens. But I think on some level, um, I think she had convinced herself that she was over it. Like you said, she went to Europe, she's starting this new life. She's not thinking about Jess because he's not in her mind. He's not thinking about her. He hasn't called her. She doesn't know where he is. Like, it's just not a thing. And then he comes back and he's not, he's clearly not in a good place. Um, you know, he's sleeping in his car. He's not getting along with Luke. Um, so I think in her mind, she's thinking, I have so much else going on. Why would I invest this energy on somebody who just took off again? You know, like, he says, I love you. And he jumps in the car and he leaves. Like, what do you want me to do with that? <laughs> you know? Um, and I think she's just trying really hard 
to manage a whole bunch of different things. Being away from her mom, starting college is not, um, hasn't been the easiest, she can't focus, you know, like it's all these things. And yeah, she, I think she loved him too. I think she loved him in a different way than she loved Dean. But at this point she's realizing that he's not reliable, you know? So um, when he came back the first time, it was, it was hard to watch because he's clearly not in a good place. Um, when we see him again towards the end of the season, um, when Luke reaches out for Liz's wedding, he's still not in a good place, but I think there's where the work starts to get done. And so I wanted to ask you about um, the later episodes with Jess. Luke goes to get him from his apartment in New York. He's like, a messenger he's sleeping on the floor it's not great um but Luke manages to convince him to come back for his mom you know mm-hmm. and so we talked a lot about Liz and how her shitty parenting traumatized her child and that's really what it is we focused on his trauma so what do you think of the Liz that we've we've known and we know all the stuff that she's done being unreliable having multiple partner, whatever it is. And this Liz that they're presenting now as like, oh, my son is here and I have a stable job and a stable husband. Like, what do you think of the difference? Liz gives me similar vibes to Renee from Twilight. Um, That's just very like, true. <laughs> very like in the way. A little, yeah. And like a little just childish. Um, yeah. And like, we have to remember... Luke's Luke and Liz's mom died when they were really young and they had their dad but their dad was clearly like Mr. Gruff I don't think he talked about feelings at all and that I can imagine would be harder on a daughter than a father um I mean a daughter than a son Mm -hmm. so I think that's a big part of who Liz is and I have to wonder what kind of parent she would have been if Jimmy hadn't run out on her because even if Jimmy wasn't Luke's favorite, like Liz clearly loved him enough to marry him. I feel like they changed that. They did. Plot at some point. Like, yeah. So to be with him in some capacity. Um, So I just kind of always, the way I've conceptualized Liz is just, she's always been very childish and follows her own whims. And Jess has some of that as well kind of just does what he wants and putting those two people in a house was just never going to work. So a stable force like Luke makes sense. I get why she sent him away, even though that would be very childish. I mean, childish and uh, traumatizing for a child. Um, I understand how Liz could have gotten there, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't make it right. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah. Because we're talking about um, towards the end of the season, nobody really acknowledging the pain that they've caused Jess, but expecting him to show up and do the right thing with like, and just forgetting everything else. Everyone's kind of conveniently forgetting that everyone's wrong Jess. And now they're expecting this 19 year old who hasn't been given the tools to communicate his feelings or, you know, like even deal with his trauma to be like, well, you have to be there for your mom. So it's just, I felt really bad for Jess in the later episode. Yeah. And, I will say as much as like he comes home for Liz's wedding, I never, I've never took away from that, that he wanted to be there for his mom. I think he didn't want to fail Luke. 
Yes. And like Luke went out of his way to come and get him. And I can't think of a time anyone but Luke has done that. Maybe Rory, but like Rory and Luke are the only ones who come and get just at any point. And anytime they do, he responds. Like after the car accident, when Jess is at the pond, Luke goes and finds him. And then Jess is like, I want to leave. And like, that's a big parenting moment for him, like giving him the choice he wants. When Rory follows him to New York, he comes back after that. So I think it's the act of like Luke wanting to help him. And like, I want you at this wedding is what did it for him. Um, So I don't, I think Jess almost seems like after meeting Jimmy, like less upset with his mom. Yeah. And not that he thinks, not that he thinks of her as like a great parent, but more like this is a friend who I care about sort of. Yeah. Yeah. He is like less bitter than you would expect him to be. And I think that's why I would have wanted more. Maybe like if they'd introduced Liz maybe around season two and I get why they didn't. Cause the whole point was Jess came to stars how to live with his uncle and it was a whole Luke and Jess dynamic. Mm-hmm. And then obviously Jess and Rory, um, but I think what bothers me about Liz going off of what you said is that they made, they kind of made her they like, they wrote her into like this quirky stars hollow recurring character in seasons like five and six. And I'm not going to say like, we were made to forget what happened with Jess. Cause obviously that's not the point. And we just, we like to force meaning into more meaning than it actually is. Yeah. It feels like it's like the whole thing that Eleni mentioned about, um, you know, he, he's, he's, he's supposed to show up for his mom's wedding and just forget all the ways that Luke and his mom and everyone, every adult in his life has failed him. And like that to me feels very true to life where, you know, like parents or relatives are just are, expect you to quote, do the right thing, but like maybe didn't teach you properly or even tell you at all how to do the right thing at any time in your life. So to me, like what to me, like watching it is like, I guess a little triggering to see like someone like Jess at the end of season four, who's spe- like in a very, very bad place, uh, not even going into the events of him coming to Roy's dorm and that whole speech, which we'll get to because uh. Lenny's going to cry. <laughs> um, so sad. It's just, for me, it's just frustrating. For me, it's just frustrating. I would have wanted, I get why it's fictional, but like, I get why <laughs> I want, I would have wanted more from Liz and just acknowledging it like, like I screwed up We're, we've we've kind of made peace with it it doesn't erase it but we've made up but I, I do like what you said about how Jess has made his own has made his peace with it by the end of season four off screen in our imagination well and he's I think that the thing that made me so sad about like the first time we see him again in season four is he's clearly so lonely and isolated like he didn't have many friends in stars hollow he's probably not in touch with his new york friends anymore rory was kind of it and then luke and he doesn't have any support and at least later when we see him he's living in a crappy apartment and doesn't seem to know what he's doing but at least he lives with people and is starting to build some sort of life i think i see already in philly at that point i guess no, Maybe. I think he's in um, New York at this point. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I guess we see a glimmer of like, he's actually going to have like relationships with men his age and like right. have friends. Um, but it just, he just seems so lonely when he comes the first time. And it, it is kind of a, he chose it in some ways, but Luke isolated him, kicked him out and 
it's it just it, it makes me really sad too I feel like just leaving um you know choosing to go off and visit well see his father live with his father it's the other side of Lane's storyline because they were both forced mm-hmm. to kind of grow up very quickly because they had no other choice and whereas Lane like was like, okay, well, I'm going to wallow for a bit. You know, that was her living with Rory. And she's like, well, now I got to get my shit together, <laughs> you know? Whereas when we see Jess again, after all this time, we really don't know what's been going on with him. And like you said, he does seem so alone. He he doesn't seem like he has it figured out in the slightest. Like you don't know where he's going. Um, his car is his only thing he wants, you know, because presumably it's just very uncertain. And I think... Um, both 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 kids were wronged but you know lane kind of they showed us the flip side of the lane storyline um yeah and i i totally agree and i think lane in some ways is better set up for success because she does have a larger community like her parents definitely kind of leave her to the wind but she has the band lorelei would never let anything happen to her Luke makes sure she has a job, like, because she is more embedded in that Stars Hollow community, it, she's better off than Jess, I think. Yeah, takes a village. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's get to that monologue, because it was a monologue when Jess came back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember when we were talking about that episode, when I watched the episode again, that scene was just, oh. <laughs> It was it was traumatic for me um, because we had noticed that, you know, Jess stayed behind to say goodbye to, to Luke and, you know, things are kind of set right with Luke and he's set things right with his mother. And then I said, when we were talking about that episode, I, I said, well, I think he, he thought like, well, everything's going so good and I'm on the right track. He's like, let me get there with Rory too. But I think it was just so impulsive him going there, right? You could tell that he didn't know what you didn't. You could tell he didn't think it through at all, right? So your thoughts mm-hmm. on the you can count on me now. I'm ready. <laughs> like, oh, just gut wrenching. Your thoughts on all that? First of all, horrible to watch. So upsetting. <laughs> um, so vulnerable of him to try and make this grand gesture. Um, totally agree. It was not thought out. Very impulsive, which makes sense with a 19 year old boy. Of course. Like, of course he is. Um, I, the thing that always hurts me about that scene is like the lack of, I don't know if it's empathy, but just like lack of connection Rory has with him at that point. Like, I understand she was hurt by him and he's been super chaotic, but I have to imagine if I'm 19 and my high school boyfriend comes and wants to whisk me away, I would have some emotion other than frustration. I would feel sad for him. I would say, I'm so sorry that you're still in that place or something like that. It just always surprised me by how Rory gave us nothing in that moment. And I know she had had that like kind of End, end final call with Jess on the phone at the end of season three. But it just like, it was almost a disservice to the relationship they had. And I know it's because they're preparing us for Rory and Dean round three, technically. But it just hurts so much to watch. And I, 
I was frankly shocked later on. I know I'm not supposed to talk about future seasons, but okay. that we we'll do it all the time. Jess, <laughs> that Jess like forgives her enough to like even smooch her later at his bookstore. Like that is crazy to me that that didn't scar him for life. And I know that Jess will always be, you know, around because the writers know we love him. But so it, that broke me. But also a thing I often keep in mind when watching Rory interact with a man is that the writers, I think, set them up to mimic or show a difference between Lorelai's love life and Jess, I think, often played the role of Christopher for high school Lorelai, if that makes sense. Like kind of bad boy could mess things up. She could have sex with him. Um, and he wasn't right for that anymore because she was no longer in high school. And Logan then goes on to play that role. Like Logan is very much who Christopher would have been if the, Rory hadn't happened, I think. Like party boy, takes forever to graduate, that kind of thing. So I think they had to make it so that Rory felt nothing so that someone else could fill that role, if that makes sense. No, definitely. Um... I just, it's such an upsetting scene and I get what you're saying. <laughs> like, I know I get, I also wish that we would have gotten more than just no, no, no. Like her just saying no <laughs> kind of thing. Um, again, it's just a, but I, you have to imagine like your boyfriend shows up after leaving you, after telling you he loves you after abandoning, like, you know, it's so much. And it's just, what do you do? You're like, I don't know. I do wish there was more though. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. give us something like yeah it's, it's hard like for me it's hard to watch mostly because he's just he's he's been in such pain as we've seen him in season four and he's just like he clearly was working up the courage over the course of the episode I remember telling this to Eleni like I didn't notice the first time around and like I watch differently when we're analyzing than when I'm watching just for fun and I like you can see he's like when he, in the beginning of that episode when he's reading the um, the self-help book that Luke gave him like but hidden behind the magazine and then Lorelai finds it in his bag and she kind of makes fun of it and Luke reacts like like defensively mm-hmm. and so you can just tell in retrospect like he's, he was working out the courage to obviously maybe not go and try to run away with Rory the way he did but like he was clearly trying to work something up to maybe closure maybe like just kind of like learning how to deal with his feelings and the way he did it was obviously not great and looking like a lot of people in our comment section will would say like it's not it wasn't romantic the way he just like showed up out of the blue and said like run away with me and I don't think we were pointing out that it was romantic it was just difficult to watch because we like we know and love him but he was clearly in a bad place as we've said and it's just just heartbreaking that like I wanted more. I wanted better. He deserved better. <laughs> yeah. I also think like he misread a lot of signals in that episode. Like I, I think a lot about the scene where Lorelai is helping Liz with her dress and, you know, Jess appears and Lorelai's like, oh, he dated my daughter. I think Lorelai's casualness about like, oh, it was a long time ago. Jess probably raises, oh, maybe they're not as mad at me anymore. And like, I would have a chance, which is so sad because like, it's, it's much more like Rory doesn't care. Um, which really hurts, but I, I totally see why viewers would be like, this isn't romantic. And, and I think 
from Rory's perspective, very much not. It's <laughs> it's just chaotic. But I understand why Jess would think this is what she wants. We read Kerouac together. She'll like it. Um, but in, in reality, that is not what happens. But somehow Jess still loves her and really credits Rory with like why he's able to be a functioning adult. Like every time they meet in adulthood, he's like, I owe it all to you. We'll never have gotten here without you, which is so sweet. Yeah. yeah. Another thing we wanted to ask you about was uh, side characters in season four. Um, specifically, we'll get to like Suki and Jackson. I think we I think we talked a bit about them during your last uh, guest appearance. But one subject that's come up a lot of times on our podcast for all the seasons is um, the issue of Michelle's sexual orientation and how um, the WB era of television in the early 2000s probably wouldn't have permitted an openly gay character on a show like Gilmore Girls. And uh, again, strong feelings we have, that's just a recurring theme. Um, so Eleni takes great issue with how they, like they gave us crumbs of like little ways that us in the like, you know, mid 21st century can recognize like, okay, like that's clearly code for like a gay character. And I don't know. Anyway, your thoughts on Michelle's uh, sexual orientation? Because we know later, obviously, that in the revival, he has a husband, right? Yeah, it's they clearly are like edging towards it as seasons go on. Like, I think in season one, he openly talks about women, which is ridiculous because he's always coded as a gay character, even when that happens. Um, so I think they are a little more obvious with references, like especially the relationship he has with um his dogs like screams like effeminate which I don't love generally because like you don't have to be effeminate to be attracted to a certain gender but I it is disappointing that they won't just like let the character be how they want him to be clearly especially like in the world where he like works at that other hotel while they're while they're building the inn and like this little like thing and the <laughs> microphone thing you guys know what I'm talking about yeah. it's just it is disappointing. And I also, I meant to bring it up in regards to Lane as well, not in terms of sexuality, but in terms of it's kind of reductive the way they handle Lane's family as Asian Americans. Um, neither Lane nor Mrs. Kim are actually played by Korean characters, um, which looking back is very disappointing, but I think is not surprising in that cable era we were in. Um, but looking as we are now as 2021 viewers is a bummer. Yeah, there's a lot of things that, like, it's definitely a bummer. It's a good word because, like, back then, like, early 2000s, mid 2000s, we would have viewed, like, quote unquote, Korean characters and this uh, bitter, sassy, effeminate Black character as, like, that would have been almost, like, diverse back then. And it's not like it's not diverse now. It's just that we can easily, like, poke holes in a lot of different things across Gilmore Girls vis-a-vis -vis diversity. I will let Eleni fill in the, the rest because I know she has a lot to say. <laughs> no, I just think um, we talked about both. We talk, and, and every time we talk about, I'll say Michelle's character, I always get very frustrated because um, Amy Sherman Palladino is known as this, you know, groundbreaking writer. She wrote for Roseanne and she pushed the limits um, with women's, women's storylines. Um, she brought, she talked, she wrote openly about abortion, you know, so it's like, then you get to the WB and you have a chance to do something um, and give 
gay people, you know, a, a, a character that they can look up to. And then you have him talking about women, but also doing these little things that they can recognize. But then I just, I just think it sends a very confusing message as well. Um, because and I understand they were on the WB and they were the first show to be endorsed by this family organization. So they couldn't push the limit that much. Um, it's just, mm-hmm. I get stuck on it sometimes where I'm like, you could have been, Michelle could have been someone for young gay children, you know, and um, instead you're, you're sending out these confusing messages that he has to hide himself and he can't be himself. Absolutely. And I think it's disappointing that the only recurring character who is coded as gay and then later is openly gay is also someone who annoys people like Michelle is gets on everyone's nerves and like he's like the lovable irritant but it's not like a Kirk where it's like a natural like protective instinct or something like that like the fact that the character who is gay is someone who annoys people and can be polarizing for viewers is also disappointing Um, same, I would say with Mrs. Kim as an Asian character, like, it's great that we have an Asian character on the show, but the fact that she's someone who we kind of see as a villain in some ways is also really disappointing. So I think like, I guess, yay, 20 years ago that they had diverse characters at all, but they really do them a disservice. You can even, I think, say the same thing to an extension with, um, Suki's character as like a bigger person, um, a plus size woman, um, which like she gets to be with Jackson, but she's also like a chef. She always plays the goofy role. Rarely do we see her like taken seriously. Um, so I think there's just a lot of stuff like that with the side characters who aren't skinny and white. And then like Rory and Lorelai never date anyone who is not white. Like it's just very minimal effort to appear diverse, but is not actually. <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Suki because we've talked at length this season about how as soon as you just like pull back the first layer or just look at least a little under the surface and start analyzing Suki St. James, we cannot stand her. Like we love Melissa McCarthy and we love Suki's little, you know, clumsy chef ways in the early seasons. But we found like seasons three and four, Suki was just not it. And Eleni will explain much better than I can. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought her up and you mentioned the fact that she was a plus size woman because um you know she's obviously she was obviously cast to be Lorelai's best friend the way Lane was cast to be Rory's best friend and she was never supposed to have or at least you know we're meant to we're meant to think she's never supposed to have these big big moments. But then that kind of bothers me that a side character that you chose to make plus size um, never gets to have big moments. And when you do try to give her a little bit more substance in her role, it just falls so flat. And it's almost as if then they realize that whenever they try to take her role a little further, the audience doesn't respond to it the right way. So they're like, well, we're just going to make her the fat best friend anyways, because that's what she's here for. You know what I mean? So, and that is also, I think, doing a disservice to a lot of, um, well, women such as myself who are plus size, you know, um, never being main characters, always being the not so interesting ones, the ones that are there for filler and comic relief. It's, you know, when we, then we get the real story with Lorelai and Rory who are always very thin and eating whatever they want. And, you know, so it's, um, this season was really hard for us in terms of Suki's storyline where she was 
she was just a mother, right? And then when she did get back to work, it was one scene at the end where she's back to being quirky and falling and whatever, you know? So every time they tried to give her a little bit more story, we just didn't respond to it because I think they had just beat us over the head with the fact that she's not meant to be an important storyline. Totally. And I, I, I totally agree with everything you just said. And it, it also is always surprising to me that they like force her just into this mom role because one, Lorelai was a mom the whole time they were friends, the whole time they were planning to open it in. And two, we've seen Suki go like to that business meeting webinar thing right. or seminar thing with Lorelai and she's very like we already know all of this and like list off all the facts you know she clearly understands how to run a business just like Lorelai does and they really disregard that to fall into these more comfortable tropes and it 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 for lack of a better term bums me out and Suki could have I think like Lane um and like Lorelai herself in some ways could have been this really like inspiring model character and they just don't give like lean into those chances um when they have them so then when they try to make her more serious later on or like have her actually be a mom or stuff like that it it does fall flat you're right yeah um i want to talk a little bit about like switching gears now to another side character and it kind of falls with what we were talking about the last time we had you on with um we discussed rory's sex life and the consequences surrounding her decisions to have sex and when she's having sex, she's being quote unquote punished or when all characters really mm -hmm. like Paris, for example. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about Paris's role this year as being. Yes. Oh, <laughs> you're excited. <laughs> I was, I was jonesing to talk about this. Perfect. So we wanted to talk about all things Paris and why the writers chose to have her um, first cheat on her boyfriend who was, for all intents and purposes, the best match for her, cheat on him mm -hmm. with somebody who was 40 years her senior and have her date a professor. <laughs> so th overall thoughts on that, Sam. My, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but my, my first like impulse when I was rewatching season four and I was thinking about, you know, the finale and Rory's going to sleep with Dean. I was so mad at Rory for how judgy she was being of Paris for cheating on just a boyfriend. And then she's going to turn around and participate in the same thing. So first of all, I was very annoyed by that. <laughs> very annoyed by that. And just points to Rory's hypocrisy and holier than thou attitude. Yep. Um, but again, I find it to be a very reductive choice. Like... Paris can't just be this smart driven person she has to like be so enthralled by a mentor that she sleeps with them um and it it doesn't really ring true to me with the rest of Paris like the people she liked in the past is like Tristan and Jamie like we've never heard her mention before like an interest in older men or like when Madeline and Louise would be like, oh, like dating a professor or stuff like that. I feel like they even made references to Max Medina being cute and Paris would always be like, stop, like he's our teacher. So it was just really out of left field to me and seems more like a, dev a device to one create drama between Paris and Rory and to kind of foreshadow what Rory's going to do with Dean, especially because they kill him off the next season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, we were kind of, we had this conversation a bunch of times 
about Paris and her new love affair. We said that it's clear that when Paris gets to Yale at the beginning of season four, you know, she has a life coach and she's doing emotional homework and, you know, she's not, she's, she's clearly a a different person in terms of her anxiety. She, seasons one through three, we know her as like, go, go, go. I'm studying. I have goals. I'm driven, blah, blah, blah. And not to say she's not that in season four. It's just, I think the Harvard thing was a big blow to her. Um, Starting college is, new and different for everyone. So she could have been reacting to that. Um, But the whole, you know, dating a professor thing, especially when this professor has, it was a pattern for him, right? Because we find out he, every semester, apparently he picks a new girl. It made us so uncomfortable the whole time. And it was just, we, 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 we were like, what is the point of this storyline? Was it to say like, you know, college is new and scary and you have anxiety so it's she's not it's she's not being herself kind of thing it was just such a confusing storyline and uh, whatever bizarre and I think definitely wouldn't have been written that way if the show happened now but I also just think it's another example of the writers approaching sex as something dirty or wrong to do um because like if Paris had just broken up with Janie and met another boy, like that wouldn't have been scandalous. Um, but because it's a teacher and stuff like that, it creates this like dramatic thing and like Paris could get in trouble for it. Like what if she like people find out and think less of her, that kind of thing. So I think it's just another example of them approaching sex in a problematic way as I wrote in my article. Yeah, um, I think if if she had even just, even if she had met somebody else while she was with Jamie, I don't even think as audience members and cheated on, let's say she still cheated on him. Um, I mean, fine, she cheated. But I think we could forgive her a little bit more than the writers, I mean, than making her date a 60-year-old man and, she, and just being so in awe of this man that like her life revolves around like making sure he has water at the book signing and like that girl is like too close to him and it was just oh it was just (laughs) it's just so out of character like it's not like we've seen Paris act that way around adults before she really sees herself as an equal like when Richard's helping them with that like locker thing like or the first aid kit um project she really thinks of herself as like equals with Richard. She doesn't think like I have to serve him and make him comfortable. She's like, we're a team. So it, it's really weird to me that she falls into this like fangirl mode and a, a strange choice for Paris, I think. Doyle makes way more sense to me. I think so too. Um, we also talked a lot about Paris, like obviously building off what, we, what we've already said, like she was like, we, like she wasn't like not consensual with the relationship, but it was, a weird form of manipulation that happens a lot with young girls. And we mentioned how it was a bit of like an avant-garde kind of touchy subject for a WB drama in 2003, 2004 to be kind of tackling, you know, a, a student teacher relationship. And I think they kind of told the, the writers kind of told the line between what they could and couldn't address within the Paris Asher romance. And we, we mentioned um, in our season four, how, there was only one scene where there was just the two of them alone. And it was very, not, it wasn't quick, but it was like not really memorable. Like they just kind of had one scene when he was in the hospital after that attack of angina. 
And it seems like it seemed to us that the right, like the, the writers were kind of just experimenting with a storyline that could happen in college, but without really, again, going deeper, like going deep enough to give us reason behind Paris's actions. Yeah, I think if they were really interested in exploring that dynamic, they would have had Rory fall in love with a teacher, probably a younger teacher, but like that kind of dynamic, I think it was more just like the novelty of it. Um, but it's also hard to imagine what they were thinking because we see stuff like that very differently now, like the post Me Too world, as they say. Like, I think as much as the age gap would have been dramatic, I don't know if we would have seen as much of a problem just with the concept of a student dating a teacher in college if we were watching then. If, I think if he had been a younger teacher, we would have been like, ooh, scandalous, good for Paris. Not yeah. like, ooh, wait, this is really creepy, which we should have been no matter what age they were because they had power over her. Um, especially since she was interviewing them for the paper and stuff like that as a student journalist. So it's it's just weird, but it's it's hard to like with any older media, hard to imagine how we would have viewed it. Last thing I'll say though, I just, I do think the theme of adultery is fascinating in season four, like all leading up to Rory committing it. Um, Cause we see it with Paris um, and then we see it with Nicole. And then finally it's Rory. And I don't know why after all those examples, she thinks it's fine when she does it, but I digress. It's true. I didn't realize how many instances of adultery are peppered through season four, and then ultimately leads up to Rory's big hypocritical moment. Yeah, um, yeah even like Lorelai thinks like Jason took someone else to a dinner and gets mad. Like yeah. it's very much a theme. It's interesting. <laughs> um, well, building off of that, actually the adultery theme, um, Richard and Emily's marital struggles throughout season four didn't really involve adultery, but we're, they were kickstarted basically by um, Emily learning about a 40 year lunch with Penel and Lott. Um, and then, so we, we um, dissected a lot of the different uh, instances throughout season four that ultimately led to their separation towards the end of the season. And most of them involve Richard just not communicating well with the woman who has kept his life in his home for 40 years. So any, any opening thoughts about Richard and Emily in season four? It's very surprising to me that their marriage takes this turn. I think um, it gets summed up really well by Lorelai when she says to Jay, you took her job. Um, and that's, I think that is really like what kickstarts it is that Emily starts to feel useless, um, which is so sad to me, honestly, as, as problematic as Emily can be. I, I do think like she she knows her role and then when she's robbed of it, it's like, I, I do feel sympathy for her. Um, but it, it is surprising to me that this happens to their marriage because it is not dissimilar to what happens when Richard retires the first time. Like they have some some similar issues. So I, I was surprised they hadn't like worked through them. I know it's just because it's an interesting plot to have them be separated um, and creates a different dynamic to Lorelai's relationship with them. But it, it just, I remember feeling very surprised when I watched it the first time that this was going to be the thing that impacted their relationship. And it, it's also interesting to me because I do think part of it stems from Emily's loyalty to Lorelai. Like when Richard is decides he's going to go back to the company and screw Jason over, 
um Emily is the one who's like but what about Lorelai like what if she doesn't talk to us anymore and I, I I think it highlights the different way they think about their relationship with her and it, it I meant to mention this earlier you, you know I you were talking about the concept of conditional love and obviously there are moments of that with them for Lorelai but they Emily in particular loved her fiercely like the thing that she gets mad about when she's pregnant is that she didn't tell her yeah. when she goes to the hospital you know like Emily really wants to show up and wants to be there even if her relationship with Lorelai is frustrating so I, I think that really plays a role in the separation as well is like Emily's fierce loyalty to her family unit Richard doesn't always seem to share in the same way for us the building off of the family unit you mentioned and um Emily's fierce protection and devotion to it for us the like a big nail a big nail in the figurative and literal coffin was Grand's funeral Grand's passing and Grand's funeral where she finds (laughs) this carbon copy of a letter not just a letter the carbon copy of a letter that um Grand sent to Richard on the eve of their wedding saying like basically don't marry Emily and in that moment she's just Emily has like this very realistic breakdown in my opinion where she's just realizing that she spent 40 years of her life devoting not just to Richard but to his family his family's needs beyond just him and she's sitting in his mother's basement going through her things and honestly says one of my favorite lines of Emily and of the whole show is find a box throw it throw in we're done because just in that moment she's like why am I bothering? And to me, I think anyone who's devoted a lot of time to something that come that comes back and bites them in the ass has had that feeling. So uh, any thoughts on Grand's funeral and the stuff that happens there? Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's horrible. I can't imagine what that must have felt like for this fictional character. Um, but also to me, that makes Richard's annual betrayal so much worse because he's having lunch with this woman every year knowing his mother wanted him to marry her like and he knows it makes his wife uncomfortable and so it just adds this whole like added layer to Richard's betrayal which is really what struck me about it because Grand was always vindictive with Emily but it is much more surprising to me that Richard wouldn't be loyal to Emily in that moment and is it's disappointing I, I do think it just highlights like Emily is a more loyal character than him like and maybe that's his business sensibilities or what have you but you can say a lot of things about Emily Gilmore but she is not gonna she's always gonna do what she thinks is right for her family like she might make choices that are bad like going to Christopher and telling him he can win more life back that's not good but she does it out of a sense of loyalty to her daughter and protectiveness and I do not think Richard acts the same way with his family at all times. No, I like what you said about conditional love and Emily Gilmore, because if we look at the version of conditional love that Luke had with Jess and Mrs. Kim had with Lane, it's not the same at all with Emily and her own family, because even even though she might not agree, she's so she's so fiercely devoted to her family unit that she'll do anything for them might not be what they need as we see throughout the whole show she's making the wrong choices because that's not what her family needs at that time but no i like that that's i'm gonna remember that for future for future no, analysis yeah. even like when 
in that flashback episode where the Haydens and the Gilmores are finding out the kids are pregnant, Mrs. Hayden says like, we could send her away. And Lorelai is, I mean, I, Emily is horrified by that idea. She's like, we will absolutely not send her away. Like that's my daughter. She's not going anywhere. Um, so I think, I think it's, they do a really good job of creating loyalty and, and family protection as a, a really integral part of her character. Yeah, I remember being really surprised watching it the first time that um, Emily and Richard, who always seemed to have it together and, you know, were devoted, loving couple, um, were going through it. But then the more I watched, the more I thought, you know, it's bound to happen sooner or later. You know, a 40-year marriage probably has its problems, um, but, you know, the roles were very well established. And so Emily was always there to support Richard and her job was to be whatever he needed, right? So when her job suddenly disappears, of course, she's a little bit lost and she's a little bit um, maybe resentful. But I think, I personally think that Emily had gotten over the lunches with Penelope Lott until the moment she found the letter. Because I imagine it being like, okay, it happened, fine. They maybe talked it out. But then the moment she finds a letter so if you'll remember in that episode, her be- one of her best friends had died and Richard said he couldn't make the funeral. But then here she is kind Much of- Much like Jason couldn't come to Grant's funeral. That's why he's awful. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, and I think that was really like, here she is trying to get over the fact that her husband's been having lunch with his ex-girlfriend for 39, 40 years. And then, like you said, her, her mother-in-law's just like, should have married that woman. Like- fuck Emily. <laughs> so, um, and I think it's, that's really highlighted by the fact that when she does get drunk and she's reading the book in her robe, she's like, why don't we ask Penelope Lott what she would do? You know, like she's had it. And I get that, you know, she's taken 39 years of abuse from Graham with Richard never defending her, by the way, being like, oh, Graham, so funny. And like, now it's just, she's at her breaking point. So that was really relatable. And I think anyone anyone who's taken that much abuse and feels, you know, cast aside by a man that they've devoted their life to, it makes sense that you're not going to want to be in that anymore or get frustrated. You know, like at this point, when we leave off in season four, we don't know what's going to happen. We know that they can't stand each other at the end, but. um, Yeah. And I, I also think it's really unfortunate that, Richard's takeaway from Graham's death kind of in some ways I mean he and Emily are being sweet to each other at the end of that episode but his his takeaway is kind of I said such awful things to her last time I spoke to her and that is like the only time we've seen him defend Emily or defend his choices as a family independent of her so it kind of her death almost reinforces to him that oh I should always be loyal to my mother above all else which is not true of an adult like I would hope you would have some sense of loyalty to your wife who's been with you and bore your child um but yes I agree with everything you're both saying I want to um talk about the jolly green giant that is Dean I was gonna say I think we've talked about everything but the elephant I don't wanna but I gotta (laughs) (laughs) we have to I know so like you said in the beginning, it's a little weird when Rory is so upset when she's watching Dean get married from afar. And yeah, <laughs> your face says it all. <laughs> um, yeah, that was very weird. I remember us thinking it was very weird too. But if we fast forward a little bit and talk about 
you know, them, their, their relationship towards the end of the season. Um, Rory had her breakdown and Dean happened to be there to comfort her. Fine. Okay. He was there. She was looking for her mother. He was there. But then her basic human kindness. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. He had nothing in it. Um, so when she gets kind of, when she gets set up on that really bad date and she calls him to come get her and, you know, even before then, when they're arguing because he wants to quit school in my head, I'm thinking, why, why are you here? You are married, (laughs) you know? So, um, overall thoughts on Dean, Lindsay and Rory leading up to her, her being an adulteress, the other woman. It's so childish and just shows how out of her depths she is in the adult world. Like she cannot understand what marriage means. And, and like, I, I was just always so shocked by the choice. And obviously like, I think the show's approach to sex played a big role in why it happened that way. Like Rory having sex is always going to be a dramatic, bad thing. And I think this was a convenient way to make that happen. Like they were like, hmm, how can we make Rory having sex a conflict for Rory and Lorelai? Um, and having Rory do it with a married man is a good way to have that happen. Um, but I just, it is disappointing, but it is not out of line to me with Rory's character. I have like, I love Rory, but she's also the worst in a lot of ways. I think we all she, feel that way. Exactly. And she just expects to get whatever she wants. Yeah. And she decides she wants Dean. And so she's going to have it. It doesn't matter if she is coming between his marriage if she doesn't actually see it going anywhere long term she like says he's my dean and Lorelai has to be like no he's literally not um the worst part of that so whole conversation just- was when she's like when Lorelai says um he's he's not he's still married until he takes off the ring and she's like he did take off the ring <laughs> and you're like you idiot <laughs> girlfriend that is so embarrassing for you. that was that was the most cringe for me I was like oh my god you really don't get it yeah and I, I also think it's not out of character for Dean either like he really plays like nice boy in quotes I'm doing quote marks you can't see them listeners um but <laughs> you know Mr. Nice Guy who's actually quite toxic and his jealous streak is still alive and well he makes impulsive decisions and as much as like we criticize Jess for doing stuff like that, Dean does it too. He just sticks to a small town when he does it and like happens to have some friends. Um, so like, I always felt very vindicated by like Luke's irritation with Dean. Um, and I think sometimes when people would like watch that happen, they'd be like, oh, like, why is he doing that? That's so over the top. Because he saw that man on the night before his wedding, get drunk and talk about Rory and then watched him swallow his feelings like an immature baby and go marry someone else. So of course Luke dislikes him. Um, But I just, I think it's a strange, I mentioned this earlier, but I think it's a strange choice to have Rory go back to Dean when we'd already seen her try and be back with Dean and she'd outgrown him. Like, I, I don't know why you would go backwards once you've gone and lived somewhere else. I guess she misses home and he's a good way to feel connected to stars hollow. And like Lane isn't living with her anymore. And we, we clearly know that's something she's missing is like wanting to feel connected to that life, but that is not a good enough reason to sleep with your ex-boyfriend who's married. I would argue that there's no good reason. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mm-mm. 
Yeah. For us, we talked about, like you said, um, how Rory was feeling lonely and how, you know, that first era of college is lonely and, you know, that early stage of adulthood is lonely. So I think she was yearning for some sense of security, not necessarily love or affection. She was just looking for this, like you said, this star's hollow sense of love and safety, whatever, what, in whatever form that might come in. And all of a sudden she's like, oh, remember when I was a Dean? I felt so safe then. Let's just like, I want that. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that. Even though Roy doesn't strike you as the kind of like, I don't know, that like vulturous female, um, you know, demon kind of female character who just does whatever she wants and expects to get it. But like you said, anything that Roy sets, like anything that Roy wants, like she will do pretty much anything to get it in her own little ways. Yeah, I don't even I don't even think it's malicious. I think she is just very not used to not getting what she wants. Yeah. Like it's hard to think of an example in her life when there was something she wanted she didn't get. She got into Chilton, she gets to go to Yale. She liked being the first time he was her boyfriend. She liked Jess, he became her boyfriend. Um I'm sure there are other examples, but you know, like we've we've been set up the first few seasons that anything Roy puts her mind to, she can do. Yeah. And I think she thinks of this the same way. It's just like, oh, it's perfect timing. Like we were supposed to be together, but that's not how like adult relationships work in this instance. And I, I think it just like really highlights how immature she is. And I mean, we see it later with the yacht stealing incident. She gets told no and she loses her mind. So it's just <laughs> like, yeah, I think unfortunately very true to her character, um, but a, a a frustrating turn of events for sure. As much as Rory isn't innocent, I think we also need to discuss maybe at length how Dean is at fault here for the ways he- Oh my God, he's the worst. For the ways he, (laughs) yes, no argument for me. The way he like worms himself back into her life in these like little indistinct ways that I find a lot of Dean supporters on the internet just discount because like, oh, Dean still lived in Stars Hollow. Like what did Dean do wrong? It's like, um. There was a scene that sticks out in my memory that Eleni knows what I'm talking about. I referred to him on our podcast as a soul-sucking dementor because that's what he is mm. to me. Um, there's a scene so where true. he's where Luke finds him at the arcade and he's like, what are you doing here? Like, where's your wife? <laughs> and he, as they're talking, he's like staring longingly over Luke's shoulder at Rory is like getting stuff out of Lorelai's car, I think. It's just like, he's not, he's like looking right through Luke because he sees like Rory and it's like, for Dean, I think he was like he was preoccupied with how much his life didn't go the way he thought it was going to go, getting married, getting married out of high school. And he's he, too, I think, was searching for this sense of fulfillment that he used to like get through Rory because, you know, Rory was always uh, had, you know, dreams and ambitions. And I think even though he was toxic and kind of put those dreams and ambitions down when they were together in high school, I think subconsciously he was like oh well now my life sucks because I don't have Rory to make it better with her little inspirational speeches almost so anyway thoughts on Dean being a Dementor (laughs) (laughs) no I I think Rory um I feel like almost stumbles into this affair more that doesn't mean it's she's not like an active participant in it but I think Dean is much more intentional about it um, like he doesn't have to invite his ex-girlfriend to his wedding just because he runs into her, but you don't have to do that. Um, he, 
does not have to call her to let her know he'll be working at the inn. Not necessary. It's a small town. She could have just figured it out from her mom. Um, like you said, he's always staring longing at longingly at her. He goes out of his way to bring that bookshelf to her dorm where they get into the fight about his life. Like if Dean was happy in his marriage or was committed to being married, he would have been like, hey, it's really none of your business. Like he didn't have to raise his voice and like actually get in a fight with her. He could have just been like, hey, like how I handle my marriage is actually none of your business. Like I'm happy that we're friends, but like that's a boundary I'm going to draw. Same with Roy saying, can you come pick me up? He did not have to come do that. Like he clearly wanted something to happen. And he's the one who initiates like the kiss and stuff like that. So he, to me, Dean is a very intentional adulterer in this moment. And the one who lies to Rory about it, like is like the the marriage is over or whatever. And like, should Rory have believed that? No, but he shouldn't have said that. Yeah, I talked about it last episode. I said like language is very important. And I, I read out what was said because if you if you listen to it carefully, you hear that Dean is basically telling her everything she needs to hear to justify it in her mind. And she repeats like, hello, Lindsay. And he's like, Lindsay knows it's over too. So she's like, so it's over for both. Like she's not saying it's right, but she in her mind has twisted herself into pretzels to say it is right based on what he's saying and he knew exactly what he was saying to get what he wanted um I think they're both to blame but I would definitely put the majority of the blame on him because like you said yeah and yeah at the end of the day he's the one who's married exactly like exactly Rory was it a great choice for her to willingly get involved with a married man no but she did not make marriage vows like that's that is his decision his choice he is the one who ruined a marriage unlike what Lindsay's mother insinuates that Rory is some life ruiner when they have that fateful run-in in in the square can't wait to get to that but but I totally agree yeah so the last thing we wanted to talk to you about is Lorelai and Luke It's a moment we've been waiting. Well, fans were waiting when it was on the air for four years. (laughs) And it's almost, we talked last week about how it's almost as if you've been waiting for it so long to happen that when it's finally happening, you're like, is it happening? Are you toying with me? What's happening? (laughs) You know what I mean? So um, did you like the way they got together? Did you like the way the story was written? Did you think it made sense? All your thoughts on that. Yes, I, I love the way it happened. Honestly, I think it could have happened a lot of ways, but I love that like Luke is obviously setting the intention early. Then Lorelai is like, wait, are we dating? And I, you, you guys talked about this last week, but Lorelai kind of starts to show that she's vibing by being clumsy, which is such an interesting choice. But I love that we start to see her invested. And it's not like we haven't known the whole time that Luke is vibing with Lorelai. Like everyone knows that it's common knowledge, but it's important that we see Lorelai really taking it seriously for the first time. And that really what it took is Luke being intentional about it for her to get on board. And then it's so sweet to me when they finally do kiss that they're both kind of like, wait, I have to like, let me, let me check. Like, is this really happening? Cause I think they're almost giving us the opportunity to see what we're feeling on screen. Like, wait, are they really kissing? So then they, do the same thing um so I've always really enjoyed it and it, it makes sense to me that obviously we're not there yet on your podcast but at the beginning of season five there is a moment of like wait 
is this like Luke gets worried again that she's not actually feeling it but then she offers that reassurance so I've always really liked the way it happened but what what do y'all think for me I had like major trust issues when they like end of season four when they got together so I'm like okay like like Alani said are you toying with me is this really it and then like the way they they set it up it was like okay this is like the moment but I still like it took a couple episodes into season five where I'm like oh okay they're going there it's it's finally happening um personally I think they waited I don't know it's it's a difficult subject and we haven't we haven't discussed or analyzed at length the late like five six and seven yet so but from what I remember like watching the many, the many times for leisure I wish that they had maybe done a bit more Luke and Lorelai uh romance earlier in the earlier seasons as opposed to leaving it all to the end with all that Christopher nonsense that just leaves a bad taste in everybody's mouth so but anyway <laughs> back to you know season four of them getting together i the season four finale of them finally kissing at the at the inn and then Kirk running, screaming bloody murder through the yard. That is probably to me one of my favorite like television kisses because it's just and I said this, I said this on our season finale last week. I would love to ask Amy Sherman you know, like one writer to another, what what like what was the creative process for deciding to write this big moment that fans were waiting for four seasons? We're gonna write Kirk having night terrors. Like that's just the perfect Stars Hollow moment to tie it all together. I, yeah, it had to have that moment of comedic relief. Like it had to. Um, and then I also have always thought it made sense that right after it happened, Lorelai would have some issue with Rory that distracts her because. I think she's finally able to have room for a big love like Luke because Rory's out of the house, but we need that reminder that Rory is always going to come first for her in that way. Um, and like, obviously she can have both, but I think it's, it, it's a smart plot point that immediately after it happened, she's like, goes back into mom mode because Rory is up to no good. And I think it's really interesting that uh, out of all of Lorelai's relationships, um even Christopher <laughs> it's really interesting that Luke is the one that um Luke has known Lorelai as a mother first you know so he's he's more aware than anyone else out of all her love interests that she is a mother and that she's that's a big part of her life you know um whereas other people even Jason knows her as like Jason comes into her life when Rory's in college you know so he doesn't get to see that mom mode of her same thing with um you know Christopher never really give, gave a shit about Rory <laughs> so like it Lorelai was always his end game you know so I think um it was really important to have that that dynamic between the two of them as friends where he also realizes like he knows her daughter well and he knows he's part of her life so it's just for sure it's so and great. for for luke rory is nothing but a bonus like yeah. even with max rory was an issue like that got in the way of them being together but for luke rory is nothing but like he adores her like he he loves he is i think he's freer with his love of rory before he is with his love of lorelei you know, so I think that's a huge reason why they work. It's really interesting that Luke never has a problem expressing himself to Rory 
even when they have subtle moments like at the end of um in season two where she comes into the diner and they talk about Jess and how she was like it wasn't his fault and he's like yeah I know you know they can always have more sincere moments and it's always just so interesting to me that no matter where he is with Lorelai he's always able to talk to Rory um that's really interesting you say that because I've always felt like there's a a lot of similarity between Rory and Luke yeah like they're both quieter they kind of prefer to be alone sometimes but they're very drawn into Lorelai's big massive personality so I I think it makes sense that like they would be someone the other feels comfortable with even if like emoting doesn't always come naturally to them they figure out how to do it with each other because there's something uh, familiar for them both, I think. Yeah. And so before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you, other than Luke and Lorelai kissing, favorite moment of the season? Oh my gosh. This is tough. Yeah. There's so many. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I, I guess I have a couple. I do really love when Rory arrives at Yale and then she calls Lorelai to come back. Like, I just think that is so true to those characters. Um, And it's just really sweet to watch Lorelai kind of push Rory into this world that she never got to be a part of, but she's nothing but excited for her to have it. Um, So I I do really love that. Um, And then I, I just, I love everything about Liz's wedding. I think it's really fun just this, like a silly thing that happens but also like we get to see this kind of budding flirtation between Lorelai and Luke we get to see Jess have some closure um so I, I guess those two I feel like there's probably tons of stuff I'm forgetting but those are the things that jump to mind and then anything that we saw off screen that was kind of implied but that you would have liked to see on screen oh Definitely Nicole stuff, like very bizarre that Luke is married to this woman and we never see her. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking, I promise. No, it's fine. <laughs> you don't have to have an There's answer. Just so, okay. No, I, I do. I do. I was, I would love to have seen more of what Emily and Richard were dealing with at home. Yeah. Because it does come on pretty quick, the the separation. Like I would have loved to have seen the conversations between when they tell Lorelai they're going to sue Jason or whatever, like screw over Jason, I mean. And then all of a sudden Emily isn't living at the house anymore. Yeah, those are good answers. So we want to thank you so much for coming on again and dealing with us. Um. (laughs) Oh my God, I had a blast. Thank you for having me. Uh, we're definitely going to do this again. Maybe like a season five recap. We should. We should do like season five, six, and seven recaps with Sam. <laughs> 100%. Listen, every time we talk about the end of one season, I'm ready to jump into the next one. So I'm, I'm at, at your service. <laughs> so Sam, where can they follow you and get more of your amazing writing? Um, on my author page, which if you just Google Samantha Grindel Insider, I'll be there right at the top of Google. And then if you want to follow me on Twitter for links to my articles or pop culture takes, um, my opinions, not those of my company, um, at Sam underscore Grindel on Twitter. 
And we're going to post all of that as well. So, um, so that they can. Uh, thank you. So honored to be part of the coffee with a shot of cynicism fandom. <laughs> thank you so much for coming. We really had fun. Thank you for having me. Can't wait to do it again soon, besties. Yay. <laughs>